This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the Aussie Test Squad is announced, Dustin Johnson's the King of Augusta, Cameron Ling's move to US politics, and week three of our six-week breakdown of the AFL and NBA season. Vote one, Lingy. No, vote for Millsap. Shuey, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, this isn't so much what caught my attention, but what caught the attention of a good mate of ours. Oh, so yes. Basically, there's a sand artist somewhere in India, and based on the type of beach in the photo, I'm going to say he's in Goa. He's done a really cool sand sculpture congratulating Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris for their win. The problem is, though, that while the sculpture's pretty good, the drawing of Harris kind of makes her look a bit like Cameron Ling. <laughs> Now, as someone who can barely draw a stick figure himself, far be it from me to throw stones around anything to do with artistic ability, but it is quite funny. There. It is very, very funny. How about yourself? <laughs> There's a bit of ling about it. I have oh, seen it too. There's a lot of ling. There's yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, well, for me, it was one of the greatest boundary uh, saves I've ever seen in the cricket. It happened to be the Women's T20 Challenge, the Trailblazers versus the Supernovas, Natakam Chantama. Apologies if I didn't say that properly, but she did one of the most amazing boundary saves I've ever seen in my life. Kind of like a, I don't know, I showed you. How would you explain it? It was almost like a somersault. A front, yeah, front somersault. Front somersault. But landing on your shoulder instead of your hands properly because yeah. of the momentum. It was crazy. And somehow saved it. Fair play. Saved a couple of runs. What'd you miss, mate? Look, I know we love a good pun or two, the, uh, the two of us, but... I am disgusted in myself for missing not one but two references to the buzz around the Charlotte Hornets last week. I'm very embarrassed about it. <laughs> I can't even guarantee I said it on purpose. <laughs> well, either, either way. Maybe one out of the two. Yeah, I should have picked up on it though. So that's what I missed. How about yourself, mate? Well, if we're going on missed from last week, I'll say when I was making kind of vague sports connections to the US election, I missed the best one of all. And that was when Trump was shooting paper towels like a basketball shot into the crowd at Puerto Rico after that horrible storm, which was, I think, of the extent of his aid, actually, uh, for that region. Just a few paper towns. But, uh, yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> Have you seen it? No. Oh, I'll my show you. God. That I'll is, show you afterwards. That is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised, but not, not quite God. as good a jump shot as Barack had, but it's not terrible. I've seen worse. Probably better than his first pitch. Yeah, jeez. Oh Just staying on that. Speaking, you know, yeah, speaking of things that were missed. That election uh, stuff, it is dragging on. News roundup, Shui. Yeah, look, I'm really sorry to start it with this, but I have to obviously apologise for jinxing it last week. Unfortunately, in tragic news, 23-year-old Mateus Barbosa was killed when he lost control of his bike going around a corner at the Interlagos track in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It comes down to a split-second decision to stay on the bike as opposed to bailing out, and unfortunately it's hard to know if him hopping off his bike would have made a difference, but... Yeah, he hit the ball pretty hard, and it's it's a reality check about the true dangers of this sport. Third fatality at the track in the last two years, and it's it it all it's it's terrible, and your heart goes out to all his loved ones. I don't even know if he had the decision time to be able to jump off. It just all happens so quickly, doesn't mm, it? Yeah, it's yeah. just terrible. But yeah. they know the risks, don't they? So yeah. Yeah. I dare say the obituary will probably say he died doing what he loved. Yes, but, I dare uh, say you're right. still taken too soon. Yeah. We also saw another horrible crash over the weekend. Spaniard Alex Marquez really lucky to walk away after having a massive high side. That's basically like catching an edge in snowboarding. Just throws all the weight of the bike in another direction, which is just impossible to pick. So he's done a front flip and basically landed on his coccyx. He's managed to walk away with a minor hand injury. He's 
it's it's a, a miracle effectively. Well, it, it must be a testament to how good the safety suits are. Because he landed on his ass really hard, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> like, that would have killed. And he would have been doing probably, what, nearly 200? 200, 200 yeah. yeah. Oh, they were doing turning corners, but still, yeah, yeah. Still a lot. 150, a I mean, lot. that's still, yeah, yeah. A lot. MotoGP, Nathan. Yeah, well, Groundhog Day once again in the MotoGP, with Lewis Hamilton claiming a record-equaling seventh world championship at the Turkish Grand Prix in Istanbul. It was another brutal race in incredibly slippery conditions, with spin-outs littering the 58-lap event, including Valtteri Bottas on the opening lap, resulting in his finishing fourth. So I guess it's not Groundhog Day. He then. didn't finish second? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, so Hamilton has 94 wins in 13 years, Schumacher 91 in 17 years, and then the third is a decent way behind Sebastian Vettel in third with 53, which leads to the obvious question. Is Lewis Hamilton the GOAT? Many would argue, I guess. I mean, it's hard to go past it, isn't it? Especially when you consider that... Four he, less years. Four, yeah, four less years, three more wins. He's talking about how he still feels like he's actually in his prime and, and has plenty left to give and yet he was saying he may walk away yeah it's, it yeah. doesn't make sense it doesn't i mean <laughs> i think the truth is that he has a lot left to give he's still plenty young enough but yeah the um the crazy part about this though was that bottas actually got lapped by hamilton mm. with 12 laps that'd to be go. pretty rare that's how well he did in this and it was apparently one of these races where they no one felt like they were in any sort of control because of how slippery the conditions were so it's hats off yeah yeah helmets off helmets off so, we reported on the dark side of horse racing last week. Maybe a more funny story this week, Stewie. Yeah, so we all know about Stephen Bradbury, yeah? Of course. How could we not? I mean, anyone who doesn't's probably been under a rock since Any Australian, about, anyway. Well, since about 2002. So, if you somehow don't, he's the Aussie speed skater who infamously won gold in 2002 when the other three races fell over. If I'm not mistaken, it happened both in the semi it, and in it, the gold medal. It did. That's yeah. very true, actually. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Well, a horse over in the UK has probably one-upped him, actually. Won a race by being the only horse in a field of nine to not be disqualified. So basically what's happened is that on the first lap, one of the hurdles they were using got damaged. The workers had begun to wander out to kind of put up a sign to say, hey, just go around because it's not necessarily that safe. But they didn't get there quick enough. And so the horses are, are flying in, kind of like that golfer who was on the... Oh, how did they not know the race had started? Well, no, they, they knew it started, but, but they, they didn't work quick they, enough. They just didn't get out there quick enough. Jeez. And so they've kind of abandoned that and gone, oh, maybe we'll just let them all jump. And everyone's <laughs> seen them and gone, oh, shit, we need to probably go around. So eight of the nine horses have gone around. One of them's done the little jump, kind yeah. of completely stuffed it as well. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically yeah. took half of the fence yeah. with him. And... Basically, he was the only one that didn't get disqualified, wins the race after coming in seventh, and Bradbury. Mm. I'm so, only disappointed that it didn't lift up its front two hooves like Bradbury doing the Jesus Christ pose. Yeah. Like, <laughs> across a, the fence. A, <laughs> that would be incredibly <laughs> awkward, but... Oh, dear. But, um, geez, thankfully this story doesn't involve any of them being hurt. That, yes, that's indeed. one of the good things. And it only adds to the farcical nature of the sport. There was a race the previous day that was called a dead heat because the photo finish was, quote, too dark to judge a winner. Mm. So, not I'd a... like to see that. I've seen the footage of the uh, Bradbury race. I haven't seen the video, yeah, the uh, picture. I, I couldn't see. find it anywhere, okay. but, geez, it's not a not a great week for the mm. Oilers racing. Mm. We finally got some good news on Shana Jack. Yeah, well, in very breaking news at the time of this recording, Shana Jack's four-year doping ban has been overturned on appeal to now just two years. So I guess maybe her stint on SAS Australia did do the uh, <laughs> the world of good that she thought it would. 
In all seriousness, though, she can't compete in the Olympics because she would miss qualifying. So her first race will actually be in the World Championships after the Olympics next year, assuming they go ahead. Yeah, it'll be the next Olympic Games in 2024. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) She'll be in the pool prior to then, but she won't be at the next Olympics. No, look, this is great news, obviously, for her and... Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen in of the, the little snippets of SAS, my wife does watch that, so occasionally it's on in the background. She seems to be doing okay. Ah, oh, very good. So good for her. It's been a, been Better a, than Chappelle Corby. Well, yeah, this is true. It's, uh, it's been a good few months for Shana. Or Candace Warner uh, dodging questions about toilet trysts. <laughs> so we'll start with football codes this week, Stewie, because of, well, what we consider the biggest news of all, and that's, of course, the end of the trade period in the AFL. Yeah, look, a lot of players have changed jerseys. Uh, I wanted to highlight a few of the key ones, I guess, to start things off. So first thing with your Sydney Swans, you picked up Tom Hickey officially to give yourself one Ruckman. Yeah, we'll see how he goes. <laughs> Unfortunately, the flip side, Alir Alir and Orazio Fantasia have gone to Port Adelaide. Yeah, you'd have to assume that Port will be right up there once again next season. It's very sad to see Alir go as a Swans fan. I am a big fan of his. I thought that he was a good fullback and a decent pinch hitter in the Ruck as well. But obviously, wish him all the best. And, you know, when we play him, at least we know that he likes to play on every opportunity. So we'll tackle him every time yeah, he, someone ready. he marks it. Yeah. And I guess a few of the other ones. Tom Phillips has gone to Hawthorne. Jaden Stevenson and Atu Basina-Vallaghi have gone from Collingwood to North Melbourne. Great pronunciation there. Thank you, sir. Uh, Zach Langdon and Alex Witherden to West Coast. Witherden we basically got for a sandwich. <laughs> which I was very, very happy with. I think it was like Sandwiches the, don't fall under the cap either. So this is a, true. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> even better. True. I think it was like the 58th pick or something, so we did well there. Uh, ben Brown to Melbourne, as expected. Yes, yep. No surprise there in the end. Uh, three that we kind of knew about, Jeremy Cameron, Isaac Smith, and Sean Higgins, the, the big three to go to Geelong. And it was close. It looked like they might not all get over the line, but they did. And good on them for getting three, which I'll talk about later, but they got three first rounders for Jeremy Cameron at least. Brad Crouch, Sean McKernan, and Jack Higgins to St Kilda. Yep, basically all in win now mode for the Saints. Definitely, and St Kilda once again getting a pretty decent cast off from Richmond in uh, Jack yes, Higgins. Yes, Jack Higgins, yeah. Done well. Yep. But the big winners, definitely the Western Bulldogs. Mitch Hannon, Stefan Martin, and Adam Trelaw. Yep. And Trelaw, they basically got for a second round draft pick, which I thought was an absolute steal. And probably just as importantly, they kept Josh Dunkley away from Essendon. Yeah, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Where do we start? Do we start with Josh Dunkley? I'd say so. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to leave. Wonder, that could be interesting. I wonder if Trelaw joining them maybe changed his mind. Maybe he maybe. realized that... But the problem is, he, he the reason he wanted to leave was because he wanted to play more in the midfield. Yeah, true. They have the most stacked midfield in the entire competition now, with Trelaw. So... Maybe they'll move Bontempelli into the forward line where he should be, considering he's All-Australian. That would be obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe Bont, Bont would be the obvious one to get a bit more time on the wing and in the forward line. Yep. But they've got a lot, of, a lot of mids now. And Josh Dunkley, part of the reason he wanted to leave is because he didn't like being played in the ruck. So, yeah, they were pinch-hitting him in the ruck. Really? Yeah. I didn't see that. He was pissed off about it. Yeah, yeah, they were pinch-hitting him in the ruck. God. And that's why he wanted to leave. So, although they're stacked... Chemistry could be an issue. But he also won't have that problem anymore because they've got Stefan Martin as a backup for English. So Yeah, well, he yes, but he might he might not spend as much time in the midfield as he likes. But time will tell. I mean, it's it, the list looks good. Yeah, that's no doubt about that. A really really good trade period for the Bulldogs. They and know. they get Trelaw on cents of on the dollar because if I'm not mistaken, Collingwood are paying a third of his salary. Yes. So they get Trelaw at a bargain price in a weird way mm. i would say but not under the cap very very true so yeah it's it's kind of funny how the afl's gone down the same route as the nba where a long time ago players very rarely changed teams 
This seems like the most hectic trade period in a long time, doesn't it? It's nuts. If not the most. Certainly for big name players. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Huge. And then we've got to address the elephant in the room. Collingwood. What's going on? (sighs) Jeez, it's hard to know what to believe with all the stuff that's coming out at the moment. They're saying it wasn't a fire sale and it, it it wasn't so much about getting below the cap. It was just about making good decisions and then... Uh, I, I just... I don't Do you know. buy it? No, not, not at all. No. Not at all. Of course it was a fire sale. Yeah. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah. Because there's rumours... So, again, the lists and the cap haven't been decided yet, but there's rumours that the lists will be five less players and the cap will be 10 to 15% less. Now, arguably, Trelaw was maybe a little bit overpaid and Stevenson, when he came up next for contract, would have definitely requested more than he deserved. So, absolutely, it was cap management. Definitely. There's yep. no doubt about it. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, some of the stories are that Jaden Stevenson didn't acquit himself very well in the bubble and maybe uh, off-field was maybe a bit of a distraction at times. I don't know how true that is. But I'm definitely not a fan of overpaying for small forwards. And I'll tell you what, the way goal kicking's going in the AFL at the moment, I wouldn't even overpay for big forwards. On a human level, I think Adam Trelaw could feel pretty hard done by and maybe Stevenson too, maybe to a lesser extent. On a team level, cap level, I don't know, maybe they did the right thing. They they did, but I think it's a lot how you deliver it, and this was delivered terribly. When the media is starting to say that he's being pushed out of the team because his wife has moved up to Queensland. Yeah, Kim Revalian, the Queensland Firebirds, yep. It's, it's just not a great look, especially for such a big squad. And you see all of these, these Collingwood fans that have been members for lifetimes talking about how I don't want to renew my membership anymore because I'm disgusted at how these champion players have been treated. Whether it's true or not, perception is reality, and this is how Australia and the football community as a whole has perceived it. You're right. There's two things here. So one, are free agents going to go there in the future if they feel like there's no empathy in the club and they're not going to be dealt with on a human level? And two... Are the supporters going to revolt? All the supporters I've talked to that are Collingwood fans are really pissed off about this. Really pissed off. Yeah. And some of them are calling for Buckley's head too. Mm. Even though he's not the list manager. But It, it will be interesting to see how long this lasts because I, th- I dare say Collingwood fans will be bleeding black and white for the rest of their lives. Yeah, well, that's right. Something like this will potentially blow over. Yeah, you do feel for Trelaw. He was one of their best ball winners all season long. And look, I dare say, if it weren't for COVID times and if it weren't for the drop-in in lists and cap, maybe they would have tried one more season with this team the way it is. Because in the last three years, they've made a grand final, a prelim, and a, a semi. Now, granted, it's one well, rung lower yeah. each, but it's still there or thereabouts. A few things go different ways. They Okay, yes, Geelong killed them in the semi, but they were there or thereabouts. They, they could go around again with that list and maybe would have threatened for a premiership. So I dare say I think there's a lot of COVID and uh, cap deflation going on here due to that. Yeah. North Melbourne basically got Stevenson for Ben Brown in the end as well. How yeah. do you feel about that? Well, I mean, he's obviously an incredibly talented player. Ben Brown's confidence with that particular squad wasn't great. North- Melbourne are all in now too. You yeah, to Melbourne are well and truly yeah. all in now. I still don't think they're going to be good enough to be any sort of a threat to win it. It's definitely finals or bust for Melbourne this year. Unfortunately, it's finals or bust for most, most a lot of the teams, teams anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. Yep. but uh, look, it's good for Ben Brown to make a, a fresh start at the Demons. And obviously it gives them a, a really nice big power forward that they can 
sort of focus the, the delivery to a decent kick of the ball when he's actually on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope he does well. Oh, I me, hope he does me, well. Me too, me yeah. too. Uh, but no, definitely it'll be nice to see Stevenson. And I think Basina Valagi will get a much better run going through North Melbourne because of the fact that their squad's just not quite as good as Collingwood's yeah, is. So. yep, yep. So I, I agree with that. I and different. again, I think that was a far sale thing. I think Collingwood probably would have liked to have kept him. Yeah. But they didn't feel like they could. Yeah. Mm. So we'll continue with our season in review on the AFL front, Stewie. We'll keep working our way from the bottom up. So our three teams this week are 12th, 11th and 10th. In 12th place, we had the Dockers. They finished 7 and 10, which was about the same as last season. They finished 9 and 13. So this year they were 12th. Last season they were 13th. Their longest winning streak was two, three times. Their longest losing streak was four from rounds one to four, so they did not get off to a good start. Their biggest scalp was St Kilda in round six, a great comeback victory. Their biggest loss was Carlton in round 12 when there was that free kick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their win-loss against the top eight was two and six. Their win-loss against the bottom eight was five and four. Yeah, look, I think Dockers fans should feel really stoked about this season. I've actually given them a B- minus on this. Now, as you mentioned, they got off to a horrible start as... Certainly another team from West Australia did (laughs) as they spent a lot of time over east in in Queensland in that hub. And yeah, okay, they didn't compete for finals realistically, but they found a lot of really great pieces there. They've well and truly entered this new era. It may not be next season, but the Dockers will be relevant really, really soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you look at their key pieces, Nat Fife and Michael Walters, they're only 29. And while 29 is not exactly young in, in football codes they still got a few years ahead of them and, and a few years to be relevant Oh, as they're well. still in their prime, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. If, if you look at some of their young guys, Adam Shearer, Andrew Brayshaw, James Aish, Caleb Sarong, Brett Bewley, that's just in their midfield. Yep. What a great Sarong start. and Bewley will continue to make the next step, I think, as years go on. Sarong was the rising star, obviously. Yep. I definitely see Sarong being an All-Australian within the next three or four years. Oh, it's not out of the question. I, by I any definitely stretch. think he will be. They've already got one of the best defences in the league as well. They were probably top two or three, I think, in terms of points per game allowed. With some of their best defenders missing most, if not all, of the season too. Exactly. Honestly, the only real glaring issue for the Dockers is is generating goals themselves. Yeah, I I still think that Ben Brown might have been a good good little one to look at for them. Maybe he didn't want to come over west. That probably played into it. Yeah. And look, when you said B-, initially I thought, oh, that's a bit high. But you know what? Rookie coach... Finish the season strong. A couple of things go, you know, go in the other direction. They probably finish eighth, make the finals. Yep. I reckon B minus is a good grade. And they had a few games that were very unfortunate. Obviously, we yep. mentioned the a couple Carlton, of really the, close ones. The Carlton game should have been a win. There's a couple of other ones that were, were fairly close. Yep, absolutely. Look, as I said, they only kicked ten or more goals four times last season, and the same amount of times they kicked five or less. Yeah, yeah. So definitely that's the, that's the big issue. Tabiner obviously is the massive key to that. And God, it's a shame that Jesse Hogan didn't work out. Yeah, I think they'll be glad that they're rid of him. And I was Tabiner's one of his biggest cheerleaders last you season, were, as you yeah. know. But he played spectacularly well. And he's finally taken the next step. So yeah. definitely trending up the Dockers. Yeah. Look, if they can get a full season from Sean Darcy and Rory Lobb in the ruck... Expect Freire to be knocking on the door for, for the finals this season. Absolutely. I reckon they'll be disappointed if they don't make the finals. Yep. What's your grade for them? B, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with B-. minus. Yeah. I, I think, again, given the rookie head coach, who was very close to coach of the year, mm. that's reasonable, I think. Cool. 
In 11th spot, Carlton, 7 and 10. They finished 7 and 15 last season, which had them in 16th place. After beating the Dogs by 52 in round 6 and coming just short against Port the following week, the Blues probably felt there or thereabouts after 7 rounds. But from there, their only 4 wins were against bottom 10 sides. A couple of names that we've mentioned previously, but not tonight. Adam Saad, they obviously have. Zach Williams, they have. So they have got some big names. Their longest winning streak was 2 twice. Their longest losing streak was 2 four times. So they were consistently inconsistent. Their biggest scalp was the Dogs by 52, as I mentioned in round 6. Their biggest loss was to Adelaide, with albeit faint finals hopes at that stage. Their win-loss against the top 8 was 2-6. and six. Their win-loss against the bottom 8 was 5-4. and four. And the random observation here was they were cardiac kids early in the season, losing to Melbourne by 1 in the restart, then beating Geelong by 2, and then... Essendon by one the following week. So they liked a close game. And and they lost to Port after the siren. Indeed, yes. And, and beat the Dockers by, uh, what, four points after the siren. That's, that's right, the that's spot. right. The, the big thing that I took out of your little blurb there is the really key point that I had here was about the inconsistency. Yeah, yeah. That's the huge thing for them. Kind of a similar boat to the Dockers in terms of the way that they're trending. But, yeah, as you said, some masterful performances. They beat Geelong, they beat the Bulldogs, they beat Essendon when they were going well. And then, obviously, then they lose some some really bad games like the Crows, which well and truly did their season. They've got some real quality players in their key positions. Harry McKay and Charlie Kernow up forward are are really, really quality players. Absolutely. Jacob Wiedering and Liam Jones in the back line are, again, fantastic quality players. Paddy Cripps is a superstar through the midfield. Potentially a future Brownlow medalist. Very good player. Yep. And then you add in, obviously, the Zach Williams, Adam Saad, Lockie Fogarty. These three guys are are really, really good quality. Sam Walsh. they've, They've got a lot of really good players. Some of their other draft picks besides Walsh kind of need to really pick it up, though. Uh, Look, they've had a cracker of a a trade period. It's a huge year coming up for Carlton. Absolutely, and dare I say, another team that we're wanting to make the final. final I think three-quarters of the league next season will feel like their genuine finals chances, if not more than three-quarters of the league. I think it'll be Adelaide and GWS pretty much. Yeah, there'll be a lot of teams that if they don't start well, that might be the only thing that keeps them from the finals next season. I wonder if they're going to overpay for Williams, but I do like their pickups. Mm. And Sard will provide some really good run out of the back for them. Definitely. In, in the mids. So I've given them a C plus, Nate. What have you got? Yeah. Yeah, that seems about fair. C plus. Yeah. C plus C. Ooh, no controversy with yeah, the no, that's, so far. I mean, that's, that's, that feels about right. That feels about right. I dare say you're going to agree with my next grade as well. Well, maybe. And then we have GWS, who finished 10th in 8 wins, 9 losses. They were 13 and 9 last season in 6th place. They had their biggest losing streak of the season when they needed wins the most in the final three rounds. Conversely, they had their biggest win of the season in round one. Pretty much says it all for their season, of course. Last year's grand final losers. Uh, Their longest winning streak was three through rounds eight to ten. Their longest losing streak was also three, as I mentioned at the end of the season. Their biggest scalp was Geelong by 32 in round one. Their biggest loss was to Sydney by 41 in round 12 after their bye. That was the beginning of the end for the Giants, it's got to be said, who went on to go 2-5 and five in their last seven. Their two wins in that stretch against bottom 10 sides. Their win-loss against the top eight, 3-5. and five. Their win-loss against the bottom 10, 5-4. and four. I think I might have said bottom eight in the last couple of segments. Bottom 10, of course. And they gave Adelaide their first win of the season in round 16, which also kind of says it all. F. Yeah, F. Yeah. Definitely. Honestly, on the field, this was a disaster for the Giants. As you mentioned, great grand winning. final hangover. Yeah, well, grand final hangover except for round one when they beat this year's grand finalist yeah. in Geelong. Yeah. And they managed to beat Richmond and Collingwood when they were going pretty well. So they've had some really big scalps, but 
they lost to the bottom three sides in North Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide. So just an absolute disaster there. You look at the five that have all bolted for greener pastures. Jai Caldwell, Jeremy Cameron, Aiden Kaur, Zach Langdon, and Zach Williams. Those are five of their absolute top 10 to 15 players. Where are the goals coming from next season? <laughs> Toby Green might have to play up forward all the time. Like, like He kind of does anyway. But they, now they might need him in the midfield more too. What, It'll be really what, interesting to see. Yeah. Toby Green's a very interesting player next season, actually. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah, it leaves a really average list behind. I mean, to go from 2019 grand finalists to this in just over 12 months is unthinkable. Mm, mm. I'm happy that they got three first rounders back for Jeremy Cameron. That's at least a, a decent return for... Who, one of the best forwards of his generation. Who is very much, as you say, yeah, one of the best. They've got to rebuild through the draft. They've kind of got to hit the reset button going all the way back to when they came into the league and... They've got the sort of list that's one or two key injuries away from a bottom two or three finish next Definitely season. trending down. Definitely. Yeah. Jesse Hogan's a Hail Mary considering what happened with the Dockers last season. No. I don't mind Braden Pruce as a decent ruck option, so hopefully he'll have a, a, a nice resurgence. But, yeah, it's not a great time to be a Giants fan. No, it's not. It's not. The league won't be happy with the Giants nope. trending down. But, hey, Gold Coast are trending up, so there's always one of those two teams seems to be up and the other down. Very true. So a couple of little updates in the rugby shoe is State of Origin and Bledisloe. Yeah, gee boy, this was every bit as disappointing for Queensland as Origin 1 would have been for New South Wales. It took less than two minutes for Cameron Munster to leave the ground with a probably a concussion. He smashed his head on the turf, marked a high ball and kind of got undercut a little bit, which wasn't great. I'm very impressed, though, with the strides that the league's made with regards to head knock management. They had him off the field straight away, absolutely no risk, which is great. Xavier Coates had a Superman front flip for the opening try. Yeah, that was lovely, yeah. Saw, which kind of <laughs> reminded me a lot of that fielding effort that you were talking about in the cricket. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, the front somersault, yeah, makes yeah, sense, yeah. In, yeah. in the way that he sort of planted the ball and, and sort of... Yeah, no, no, definitely similarities. But yeah, geez, it was all one-way traffic after that. Repeat sets and pressure through field position, that was the key. Uh, you just found that every time you looked, Queensland were just backed up right up against their, their try line. A couple of brutal tackles. Coates actually copped a smashing in one tackle. He, he hasn't trained much this week, and probably because of that. Mm. But yeah, geez, Josh Adokar was unstoppable out wide. He's got such quick feet. There was too many of these four-on-threes out wide, so every time they had an overlap and it just seemed like there were you know, too many easy tries, you're not going to win games like that, basically. The one thing I was very uh, interested to see, though, things finally boiled over after a, a, one of the Blues actually knocked the ball away, and, and Tino Fasua Malawi and Payne Haas just started throwing punches at each other and got sent off. Biffo. Yeah, and these are two very big guys. A lot of people <laughs> already talking about how that could be a great undercard match in, in one of these. Yeah, well, it's not unusual for rugby players or ex-footy players to enter the ring after their field. True, I mean, Paul, Paul Gallen and Barry Hall, there's, there's yeah, quite yeah. a few of them that have, yeah. have had that sort of thing. But Well, uh, Anthony the Man Mundane, of course, as well. Very true. Yeah. But yeah, this was about as much fight as Queensland showed. 34-10, Queensland, a lot of soul-searching to do before the decider at Suncourt this Wednesday. And one thing I will say, really sad to see Ryan Pappenhausen won't be playing. He has to wait another year to make his Origin debut. He really, really deserved his yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. But... He will, he will get his time, but it's unfortunate he just deserved it this year. For every celebration, there's always a disappointment or two, isn't there? Very true. Yeah. And then with the Bledisloe, just a very quick update. We spoke last week about a few of the, the high tackles. 
Lockie Swinton ended up copying a four-match ban for his hit on Sam Whitelock, which was a bit of a disappointment. And uh, Ofa Tuanga Farsi copped three weeks for his hit on Tom Wright. So good to see there's parity between the two teams. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but look, at least New Zealand got upset by Argentina 24. Yeah, to I was going to say, like, obviously, of course, we talk about the Aussie stuff first. But the biggest news in the rugby world is Argentina beating the All Blacks. Holy shit. First time they've ever beaten them as well. And they yeah. did in Sydney as well. Incredible. So it's not even like it was in Buenos Aires or yeah. And the, the you know players' tears are streaming from their faces because they never thought that they would get that opportunity. It, you you got to love a good sport upset. Did you see who was the orchestrator of the win, though? No, I can't say I did. Michael Checker. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He switched roles. So he, yeah. the current coach of Argentina, used to be his assistant. Now he's their assistant. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So very, very well done, the Pumas. Absolutely. Oh, oh, Pumas, I believe yes, they call indeed. them. Yeah. yes. Quick little soccer update. Should we an excuse to talk about Scotland? Yeah, look, nothing major to report this week. They're in the week for internationals, so none of the EPL was going on. But as a guy with Scottish ancestry, it is amazing to see Scotland finally make the Euros. First time since 1996. Only the third time ever as well. So Wow. Yeah. Gee. But uh, in typical Scottish fashion, they managed to concede a late equaliser against Slovakia and had to win it in penalties, which is... <laughs> Keep everyone on. Oh, they, they edge of their just seat. do it way too often. I saw some of the Twitter celebrations, which were quite funny. Oh, so brilliant. They were loving it. They do have a pretty tough group. They've got Croatia, the Czech Republic, and England. However, the scheduling could probably not have gone any better. The game against the Croats and the Czechs is at Hampden Park in Glasgow, and the game against England's at Wembley. So we don't actually have to leave the United Kingdom yeah, for all three good. of those, which is yeah, a, yeah. a really good result. We'd have to feel fairly confident that we can get some points out of that. But geez, there's some really, really rough groups there. You look at. At some of them as you head down and you think, geez, how's anyone going to get out of that? Well, that's why some countries are just happy to qualify often, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Very true. Now, you've got some NFL for us. Yeah, so I thought it might be worth kind of doing a bit of a midway review. We're approximately halfway now. Not every team has played the same amount of games, but we're nearly, we're thereabouts halfway. You could be forgiven for thinking that half the league is 6-3 and three and the other half is below 500 if you look at the standings, because that on first glance is what it looks like. Playoff locks, I reckon Pittsburgh, who are 9-0, and not a surprise there. However, get this, the last nine teams to go 8-0 or better did not win the Super Bowl. Ooh. That includes my Colts the year we lost to the Saints. The last nine. That's, wow. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah, you'd have thought one of them would have won at least. But... So even though they're 9-0, there's no guarantee that they'll win the Super Bowl. And when you drill down a little bit further, you can see that five out of the nine wins were by just one score. And one of the wins was a very near miss against the woeful Dallas Cowboys who have only won two games in their own right. So Pittsburgh record maybe looks a little bit better than what it is, but they're still a very good team and they'd have to be right up there. The other team that would be right up there, of course, Kansas City 8-1, and one, going along beautifully behind Patrick Mahomes, yeah, how many defending touch- Super Bowl champion. How many TDs does he have now? He's got 25 touchdowns and one interception. Jeez, that's, that's kind so, of almost like looking at the assist-to-turnover yeah. ratio in the NBA. That's, that's an impressive stat. Yeah, so he's probably leading the MVP count. There's a few other guys. We'll talk about that in a sec. Buffalo are 7-3. That's their best start. So that's their 10th game was today, but it was their best start through nine games since 1993. And that was during their purple patch with Jim Kelly when they made four consecutive Super Bowls and lost them all. (laughs) I mentioned Kyler Murray last week, but Josh Allen for Buffalo has also had an excellent season. And he had a huge game last week with 415 passing yards and three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown as well in a win against Seattle last week. So he's got 14 games in his career so far with both a passing and rushing TD. And that gives him the second most all-time in their first three seasons. Wow. 
And you saw something today that uh, adds to the impressiveness about uh, Josh Allen. Yeah, he pulled off one of the more interesting trick plays I've seen in a while. So what he's done, he's taken the snap and handed off to his running back who sort of curled around the right-hand side. Next thing you know, he's thrown a little pass over the top. He's, yeah, he's, definitely threw it like a running back. He definitely did throw it like a running <laughs> a back. Dink. But uh, but yeah, you know, reception for the quarterback runs it in for a touchdown. Really nice sidestep to get past the last defender. So uh, it was a, a nice little moment, and and that was against a team who is notoriously the the kings of trick plays as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. So so we're talking about Mahomes. Josh Allen's also got to be in the in the MVP race as well. He's got 21 touchdowns and seven interceptions, and now he's got to pass. Uh, you know, a court Recep- yeah, reception. Yeah, so, so his stats are looking pretty good too. And as I say, Buffalo, best start in a long time for them. Six teams are six and three. Baltimore have the easiest run home on strength of schedule. And Lamar Jackson became the second player behind Dan Marino to go 25 and five in his first 30 starts. They lost today against New England, however, though. So they're actually on the same win-loss record where they were this time last season. They don't look quite as strong as they did last season, though. So I don't think they're a lock for the championship game like they were last year. Cleveland are on track to make the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. That's the longest streak in the NFL for playoff futility. Of the 6-3 and three teams, if you held a gun to my head, I'd probably say the Las Vegas Raiders would be most likely to drop out, but time will tell on that one. If I held a gun to your head, you'd probably shit yourself before you started making wild predictions about well, the NFL. But... Uh, hey, try me. I, I don't, where do I get a gun? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, rule the line through the Jets. They're 0-9. The Jags 1-8. Texans, Chargers, and Bengals only have two wins each. The Broncos are 3-6. And, and probably the Pats at 4-5. and five. But hey, they did beat Baltimore today, so you never know. Over on the NFC side, the Packers and Saints are both 7-2. and two. The Buccaneers are 7-3. and three. There are three teams in the NFC that are on 6-3. and three, As I mentioned, lots of 6-3. and three, Including Seattle, who have given up 397 or more passing yards in half of their games this season. Oh, wow. And also Arizona, who had a crazy win today uh, with a last-second touchdown. To everyone's favourite seafood, Kyler Murray. Yes, yes. Kyler Murray uh, threw the touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins, the player that the Texans uh, stupidly traded away last season in a people sandwich. He caught it amongst yeah, three blokes triple coverage. with one place. second left on the clock. So that was a very impressive highlight there. Uh, absolutely. The NFC East is almost historically dreadful with a combined record now of 10, 26 and 1. It's no surprise that three quarters of the bottom teams in the NFC are from what has been dubbed the NFC least. (laughs) That's good. If you drew down even further, it would look even worse if they didn't play each other twice. So the only three wins for the Giants are against Washington twice and Philly in their division. Washington's only two wins are against Philly and Dallas. One of two's Dallas wins are against New York Giants, and two out of three of Philly's wins are against the Cowboys and Giants. So lucky they get to play each other, or their win-loss record will be even worse. Their only other win was against the 49ers, who at 4-6 and six are looking pretty bad and probably missing the playoffs after losing the Super Bowl last year. Championship hangovers for the losing team. It seems to happen in lots of sports. It's not going to be any different here, I don't think. Uh, sticking with the playoff theme, NFC East will rule a line through all of them. Well, three out of the four of them, because at least one qualifies by virtue of the fact that one division winner qualifies from every division. So there'll be a very lucky loser from the uh, NFC least. <laughs> and I think you can also rule a line through Carolina, Atlanta, Minnesota, and Detroit. So who's winning the MVP then through all of this? You've kind of mentioned that Mahomes is probably a, 
You'd think he'd be, he would win one. Yeah, Mahomes is right up there. Mahomes and Allen. I think Aaron Rodgers has 26 touchdowns and three interceptions on a team that's only lost two games. Russell Wilson's got 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He's carrying a lot of the load, though. Their defense has been woeful. So I think they're going to be making up the numbers in the playoffs. I don't know... Don't know if he'll if his team's performance will be enough to warrant him an MVP. Kyler Murray has 17 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Also, the crazy thing with Murray is if he were a running back, he'd have the seventh most yards of all running backs in the league. Wow. So not only is a very handy quarterback, but he's actually running the ball superbly well too. Speaking of runners, of the running backs that have a chance at the MVP, I'd say Derek Henry, who has 946 yards and eight touchdowns across nine games. Uh, and Delvin Cook has 858 yards rushing and 12 touchdowns. He's had a very good season too. So that's kind of where we are at the halfway point. And yeah, geez, Nath, I saw that really, really brutal leg injury to Nick Boyle in the Patriots and Ravens game. Oh, it can be an unforgiving game at times, yep. Seems to have been a lot of really gruesome injuries in the NFL yeah, this season. Yeah, yeah, and insult to injury. Lamar Jackson loves passing to tight ends. So there's his tight end going, Nick Boyle. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, big injury. Yeah, it's not good. Big injury. Season ending as well. I, yeah, I, I, I would imagine so. Yeah. From the yeah, I haven't seen any reports, but seeing the footage, yeah. pretty bad. It's probably broken. Yeah. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week comes from Argentina and the unfortunate case of cyclist Diego Moreno. Now, wearing head to toe lycra when you're not a professional can really make you look like a big enough prick on your own. <laughs> But Moreno was cycling with a couple of mates when his bike hit a pothole, which threw him over his handlebars straight into a cactus bush. Oh, it's terrible. Leaving him with thousands of thorns stuck in his body. The worst part about it all, though, is he was just trying to do it for fitness. So he can't even say he endured that pain for any reason other than general fitness. So he was taken to hospital later on after they extracted literally hundreds and thousands of these things. It is terrible. But he's, he's apparently fine. So that's the good news that for is, it all. That, well, that is good news, because it did not look pretty. It did not. Jeez. So for copying a brutal injury for just trying to ride around the streets of Buenos Aires... And looking like half of the garden centre at Bunnings. <laughs> all I can say is, infierno sangriento. <laughs> Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Stewie, big news in the world of sport. I won Pixar putt yesterday. Uh, sorry, I mean the US Masters. Whoa, 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 whoa. Go back. Yeah, I even had a hole in one on one of the Toy Story holes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's bigger yeah. than the Masters. Yeah. <laughs> you're notorious, you know, you're notoriously not a golfer. <laughs> no, well, uh, mini golf on my day, I do, all right? Yeah, but, wow. Yeah, yeah, lots of twos and threes, so I was pretty happy. Yeah. I still go back to that game of mini golf that oh, we God, had don't. in the Caribbean where don't. you angrily hit, yes. hit a ball very close to one of our friend's ears. <laughs> We were talking about that on Grand Final, actually. He was saying that the story gets closer and closer oh, to his dude, ear. It, 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 it went straight through your face. It was that <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, he was saying it was like it was actually like five meters away. I, I still maintain it was less than a meter. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll get we'll get to the Masters though. Yes. That has just finished up overnight. Indeed. So Dustin Johnson has won his first U.S. Masters the year after finishing in a tie for second, one shot behind Tiger Woods in one of the most enjoyable Masters of all time for me. But he shot a record low score of twenty under par, which is just spectacular Incredible, yeah. he also matched Jordan Spieth's record after 54 holes of 16 under par and he led by 4 shots going into the final round so he had a pretty comfortable lead also became the only player in the history of the tournament to shoot a 65 or better in 2 rounds mm. but this was huge for DJ he's previously led 4 times going into the final round of a major he kind of choked last year didn't he and he's lost all 4 of them yeah yeah so yeah. this kind of allows him to kind of get rid of that 
that whole Sticky choker mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's not Greg Norman. Yeah. How's this for focus, though? He didn't even know he was leading walking up the 72nd fairway. Hmm. He actually turned to his caddy and said, how are we doing? I can see how golf would be the sort of game where it's actually good to play against yourself rather than the others. You oh, know 100% I mean? it is. Yeah, as soon yeah. as you start seeing those other numbers, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it is tough. So, yeah, look, a really, really great victory for Johnson. So one of the runners-up was Australia's Cameron Smith, who had an absolute cracker of a tournament. Very unlucky to finish second, actually, when you look at the numbers. Yeah, well, absolutely. If I'm not mistaken, the only player to have ever scored under 70 in all four rounds. Yep, I definitely saw that as well. The best ever second-place score at the Masters as well. So, uh, yeah. Heartbreaking. His, his score would have actually won 76 of the last 83 Masters. Uh, can be a cruel... Sport can be a cruel thing It sometimes. really can, but no, great for He'll him. be happy. He, yeah. yeah, he'd be very, very happy. On the flip side, a bit of a shit show for Bryson DeChambeau. He was the guy that <laughs> I had my money, well, I would have had my money on if I was a gambling man. Oh, uh, yes. Finished two under for the tournament. He actually lost his ball in the first cut of rough. Probably one of the downsides to not having any fans on the on the course, or very few fans anyway. And it led to Paige Spirinak having quite a funny tweet. She teed off on Twitter, eh? DeChambeau's. Yes. <laughs> DeChambeau is in DeChambeau's. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, he's... We love a pun. Can I, can I just ask, though, how nuts is it that she is single? She is quite an attractive lady, yes. Like, you've heard the stories, I assume. Yeah, I read, I read on, on the internet about a year ago that apparently blokes date her to get golfing tips. Do they not have eyes? She is a very attractive woman. Yes. And very good at golf, too. Yes. I would take the golf and... <laughs> like, ceteris paribus, that, uh. yeah. You Any- take her to Pixar putt? Uh, yes, very much so. Very <laughs> much so. Anyway, let's get back to Bryson. So, obviously, he went into the week expecting it was all going to happen for him. He referred to the course as a par 67 because he felt that his length was going to give him that much of an advantage. And he looks like a fool. Pride cometh before a great fall, as they yeah. say. Augusta is one of those courses that really, really can make a fool of you. I learned something funny about Augusta today on the drive to work, actually. Oh, yeah. Apparently, on now I know you were talking about Google Earth. Apparently on Google Maps, when you look at Augusta, it's all pixelated. You can't see it because they don't want people to know where the traps are and when they make changes to the course. So it's all a part of the secrecy. The real pixel putt. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Full circle. <laughs> the full well, Pixar putt, but you know, oh, we won't let it joke get in the <laughs> no. way of a good putt. Oh, no. My, dis- no. My, well, dis- well, you know. my Disney knowledge has screwed me over once again. <laughs> But no, things were that bad for him that he actually had the same score after round one as Larry Myers, who won the green jacket in 1987, mm. when he actually chipped in from 140 feet to beat Greg Norman, who you alluded to uh, earlier, yes, yes. on a playoff hole. That was six years before DeChambeau was born. Mm. So, yeah. And this is also despite DeChambeau averaging 334 yards off the tee compared to Myers' 247. So, not a great round. Speaking of players that struggled, Tiger Woods. Yes, I saw that terrible... I can't remember which hole it was, but when he had the 12th, when he had 10 shots. Yes. Yeah, that creek. Ironically, that was the hole that effectively won in the tournament last year because as he was making his charge on the last round, there were a few guys. I remember uh, Francesco Molinari, uh, Tony Finau, and I think there was one other guy... I can't remember who that was, but they all put their shots into the water there. Oh, playing out of that bunker is unforgiving, isn't it? Well, that, if, the bunker... Like, if the you misjudge is... that bunker, it's going in the water. Yeah. 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 And, and so many guys leave it short or yeah. spin it off the, the front like what Woods did as well. So, A couple yeah. of drops in that 10, yeah. 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 So not, a, not an amazing... Although, funnily enough, I think it was five of the next six holes he birdied, so... <laughs> Golf's a funny game. It really is. 
And I tell you what, crazy to think, at one stage in the third round, nine players shared the lead. Wow. I, I would love to know if that's Good ever viewing. happened that late in, in a tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess we'll just finish that with one little thing. Bernard Langer, 63 years old, became the oldest player ever to make the cut at the Masters. And I believe none of the top 20 finishes in the tournament were even born when Langer played in his first Masters in 1982. Good on him. Good to see them getting out and playing with the uh, the younger guys as well and, and doing well. Indeed. And funnily enough, I think he actually holed a putt from about 63 feet on one of the holes as well. So there you go. Quick little tennis update, Shui. Yeah, really quick one. Just the one tournament completed during the week in Sofia in Bulgaria. Italian young gun Yannick Sinner. Ah, yes. One of your tips for an up-and-comer. Yeah, he's knocked off Canadian Vasek Pospisil 6-4-3-6-7-6 in the final. So very much on the way up. He's won his first tournament finally. It would have been the first win for either of them, though. They actually hadn't... Well, neither of them had actually ah, won yes, a tournament one of before. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I noticed that if, if you look at the Erst Open that we spoke about either last week or the week before, the semifinals consisted of the number five seed, in this case, Adrian Manorino, and three unseeded guys. So Changing of the guard. It very much is. So yeah, as I said, Sinner and Pospisil were both looking for their first career title. They could scarcely be in more different spots in their career, though. Sinner's this huge up-and-coming beast of a, a next star. Pospisil's a bit of a journeyman. He's, he's just turned 30. But this game was power versus power. Each guy was just hitting huge winners from all over the court. Sinner now moves into number three in my favorite players list, though. I really, really enjoy watching this kid. His mobility around the court has really surprised me. I thought that was going to be something that he'd struggle with, but he's great at that. And you combine that with all his power, he is destined to be a top 10 player. Mm, Watch this space. Yep. Now, the Nitto ATP finals have just started on Saturday, which showcases the top eight available players. They're going to play two four-player round-robin groups. The winner of each will go through to play the opposite loser in the semis. You've got Novak Djokovic, Daniel Medvedev, Alex Sverev, and Diego Schwartzman in Group 1. And Group 2 has Rafa Nadal, Dominic Tam, Stefano Tsitsipas, and Andre Rublev. Real chance for Generation Next to show Novak and Rafa that they're coming for him. So far, just the two matches. Team beat sits a pass in three, and Nadal cruised past Rublev in straight sets. Very good. So, Stewie, before we get into the test squad, which was recently announced, we've got a retirement in the world of cricket. Yeah, we were going to mention this one last week, but we didn't actually have all the stats ready in time, so <laughs> just wanted to give it proper attention. Yeah, so, no, that's fair enough. So, yes, Watto announcing his retirement after the Chennai Super Kings were eliminated. Jeez, pretty decent career. 59 tests at an average of 35 with 75 wickets, three five-wicket hauls as well. 190 ODIs at over 40 and 168 wickets. 58 T20Is at nearly 30 with 48 wickets as well. So Great short-form player, Shane Watson. Very, very great short-form. I mean, my favourite Watto moment, probably that 185 off 96 against Bangladesh. He was opening in that one? He was was opening, yep. Um, Taking my photo with him in the West Indies in 2007, (laughs) I believe after the game against England in Grenada... I think that's probably where it was, but anyway. And he also holds the record with 658 unsuccessful reviews when <laughs> on LBWs that were hitting middle stump. Uh, not good at the old review, but we do have a bit of a soft spot for Watto, don't we? we because do. uh, after my favourite memory is after the 2015 World Cup, the next day when they unveiled the trophy and had a little bit of a celebration, he stayed out for autographs and photos way beyond any other player, like double the length of any other player. And they were like the handlers were kept tapping him on the shoulder. Come on, Watto, we gotta, we gotta go. Well, I mean, we would have been waiting in Fed Square for like two hours. We were there for a while. Yeah, we were there for a while. And hats off to him. My respect for him definitely increased after that. That was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good yeah. on you, Watto. You had a pretty good career. Godspeed, champ. Yeah. Now the test squad, Stewie. Now, I guess there's not really any major surprises here. We kind of 
predicted this a little bit. Tim Payne, of course. Sean Abbott, Joe Burns, Pat Cummins, Cameron Green, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Marnus Labuschagne, Nathan Lyon, Michael Nisa, James Pattinson, Will Pukowski, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Mitchell Swepson, Matthew Wade, and David Warner. So the usual suspects with the ones that we probably thought would uh, work their way in, in Abbott, Green, Nisa, Pukowski, and Swepson. I absolutely love this squad for the most part. Absolutely. Great to see Sean Abbott and, and the reaction of Abbott when he found out that he actually had made the squad breaking down into tears. It's been a long road for him after the, obviously the, the issue with Hughesy. Yeah. Yeah. Bowling that delivery that uh, unfortunately led to the death of Phil Hughes. Yeah. So yeah, an amazing story for Abbott to be able to sort of come back from that. And Neeser as well. Yeah. He's been spectacular. Both of them have done well. Abbott has 14 wickets at under 18. Neeser 10 wickets at just over 24. Both of them have centuries as well, so mm, they've, they've yeah. done very well. I mean, Abbott looks the more genuine bowling all-rounder, but they give us really good flexibility. Um, and as you said, yeah, the guys like Pukowski, Green, and Swepson all getting... They great. all bashed the door down, didn't they? They really, really did. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, and we did mention it last week, a lot of the blokes that they're fighting with, they're scoring some runs too. So Matty Wade, Travis Head. Okay, not Joe Burns. He's probably on borrowed time, I suggest. Well, he's, for me, the big issue. Yes. Five scores so far in the Sheffield Shield. 10 and 11 versus South Australia. 29 and a duck versus New South Wales. And 7 versus Tassie. Queensland have had a great start to the year, and he has not been a factor in any of it. Yeah, I don't have a problem with him being in the Australia A side, but when you're going at, what, 11.4, yeah, it's not good enough. How is Marcus Harris in the A squad? He had 239. Yeah, he's doing all right too. And he had a 71 and a 45 against WA. So more than six times the total runs that Burns has in two less innings. The d- disappointing thing for me is that I heard that Langer said that Burns would probably get a nod in the first test as the incumbent. I don't agree. Get Pukowski in. Yep. He's paid his dues. I uh, could not agree more, quite frankly. Should we go through the end of the recent Shield games? And they're the last Shield games for a while in the lead up to the Aussie uh, test summer. Yep. So Victoria, four declared for 414. Pukowski had 202 in the end, so he didn't score too much more. Rubbish. Hanscom 84. Matt Kelly was the pick of the bowlers for WA with three for 84 off 27. WA in response actually got the points. Yeah, you joked about that. Yeah. <laughs> they might get first innings. Yeah, there was, a, there was a small chance and it happened. 479, the Warriors scored. Sean Marsh, 135. Inglis, 125 at number eight. Cam Green had a 56. John Holland, a pick of the bowlers for the Victorians with four for 115 off 42. Uh, and look, it's not big news, but it is in the fact that he's in the squad. So Cam Green uh, bowled eight overs for none for 15. Victoria then in response had four for 119 and it ended in a draw. Now, a couple of other names here that'll be wishing they were in the squad. Queensland, five declared for 496. Matty Renshaw, 168 not out at number five. Usman Kawaja had a 131. Pearson had a 109. South Australia in reply had 154. Mitch Swepson, 5 for 55. The pick of the bowlers for Queensland. His third consecutive 5 for in a row. In response, Queensland, 3 for 105 declared. Kawaja with another 45, not out this time. South Australia, 385 all out. Nielsen, 114. Steckity, the pick of the bowlers for Queensland, 4 for 43. Balls winning by 62. Yeah, it's interesting that you've mentioned about Matty Renshaw. He's started to pick up his game as of so mm. many of the other guys. <laughs> And I think Usman Khawaja's time might be up. I think he joins the pile with Sean Marsh of guys mm. that may never get another game, which is a bit of a shame for Wizzy, but... Eh. But, yeah. I, I have guys ahead of him in the team. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I'm not too disappointed with that. Now, the other number that I think you didn't mention was Callum Ferguson. 
He was out for 97 oh, in his yes, last just innings. Shy, yeah. Very, yeah. very unlucky. Yeah. So he's another guy that is has now retired. Nearly 9,400 first-class runs at 37, 49.50s and 20 tons. I actually feel sorry for him, though, not getting more than one test in his career. But he'll presumably become another one of these full-time T20 players who just chases the dollars around the world. Absolutely. And hey, at least he's got that baggy green, even yep. if only from one match. Then finally, the craziest game I've saved for last. New South Wales, 64... <laughs> Bird had 4 for 14 and Sidzi had 3 for 17. Tasmania managed 239 in response with Jordan Silk scoring 106, Sean Abbott being the pick of the bowlers with 4 for 33. Then in response, New South Wales 6 declared 522. Larkin 161, Enrique's 113, maybe he was unlucky to miss out on the squad. Abbott 102 not out, so a knock for him. Then Tazzy, 202 in response. Wade, 59. McDermott, 50. Stark and Lyon both had threefers. Somehow New South Wales managed to win when they only scored 64 runs in an innings. Crazy. I, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think it was either... I think it was like the third worst start to win a, to still win a test match. Wow. Something like that. I mean, wow. it's... Yeah, I don't even know how you measure that, but yeah, it was ridiculous couple of really fun talking points about this. So firstly, the crazy stumping from Tim Payne. Did yes, you see that? yes. So yeah, you mentioned Larkin made 161. He was batting beautifully. Faces Gabe Bell, standing just a little bit outside his crease. And Timmy Payne noticed that. And after one of the plays and misses, he's underarmed it back and caught Larkin short. I don't know if we... We certainly don't disagree in terms of like, it was out. Clearly, oh yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah, clearly yeah. it's out. That's a stumping. Is, uh, that was going to be my next yeah, question. Yeah, Is it a stumping, stumping or a run out? It's a stumping because technically they didn't go for a run. Yeah. So good on him. Yeah. Yeah, heads up play. Oh, I read the match report and it basically said it was the only way they were going to get him out. So he well, would have exactly. been spewing. He might have had a double ton on the cards there. Yep. So yeah, yep. yeah. And then the, the really funny one was Mitch Stark's blow up after, <laughs> after being stranded yeah, on yeah. 86. 14 short of his first ever first class century. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, look, it's a hissy fit. I'm a big fan of Starkey, but come on, mate. You gotta it's it's for the team. They're four day games. It's not a five day test match. You need every minute. You need every ball you can get. Yep. So I don't have any problem I have more problem with Payne declaring on Warner against Pakistan last year with the Bradman number. Yeah, that, that I have more problem with yeah, that. Yeah, that should have been go for the record. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of a little bit on the fan. I'm leaning more towards that that whole team first thing. As it turns out, they would have had time, but you know, maybe, yeah, but maybe... they also managed too far because of the declaration. Yeah. They managed two cheapies at the end of the day. Now, if they if he bats on, maybe they don't get two cheapies at the end True. of the day. Maybe it ends in a draw. So I love Starkey, but yeah, not happy with that one. I would have maybe liked to have seen him be told early, look, we're going to declare at this number, so go for it. Yeah, basically. and that's the other thing. It's not like he was on 97 like Callum Ferguson was. Mm. He was a fair way off it, Well, a couple of overs the way that Starkey swings the bat. But anyway. I know I've just given Larkin a double ton if he hadn't been uh, stumped on 161. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> but he was always off 100. Yeah. So, you know. That's yeah. Calm down, Starkey. We and, love you, but calm down. And then the other talking point as well, you know, you've mentioned the four-day matches. We've had 10 matches so far. Five of them have been draws. And at least two more I can think of have been one in the last hour. Yep. Surely there has to be something said for five days. Well, one, they're playing on roads. But I think, I don't know. I mean, I'll be gutted if they ever move away from five-day tests. I can kind of understand in the domestic competition where there's not as much money around. You know, it's one day less accommodation. I can kind of understand it in, in the domestic market. I fucking hate them. Oh, look, I don't like I them. I hate them. Yeah. They're like... 
I don't like them. They are the worst. The worst thing. You talk to anyone who's played sport. You'd almost prefer a loss. They just yeah. The a draw is just one of the most empty and hollow feelings. It's not great. Yeah. yeah especially in a big match. Speaking of big games, Shui in the IPL final. Delhi made 7 for 156. I are 65 off 50. Pat chimed in lovely with a 56 off 38. Trent Bolt, the pick of the bowlers for Mumbai with 3 for 30. WA's Coulton Isle, 2 for 29, chimed in quite well as well. Mumbai, 157 off 18.4 in response. The Victors, Sharma, 68 off 51. Kishan, 33 off 19. He has had a good tournament. Norcha, 2 for 25. And Axar Patel, 0 for 14 off 4. So a good economy rate there. For Delhi Mumbai champions again. Yeah, geez, they played Delhi four times this season and beat them comfortably all four times. Ouch. It's it's hard to say anything other than Mumbai being the best team by a decent margin. And geez, you can't ask for a much better or worse start, I guess, depending on who you barrack for than Marcus Stoinis nicking off to Trent Bolt with the first ball of the match. Absolute jaffer, by the way, I have to say. It seemed back in and it bounced, really caught him caught him back in the crease. Stornis has been huge in the last couple of games. Probably one of the biggest factors to Delhi making a total around that 180, 190 mark. But yeah, none, of the, no, none of the Capitals big guns fired. Ajinka Rahane strangled one down leg side for two. Shikadawan copped a beauty from Giant Yadav and was, was bold for 15. As you said, Pant and Ayo, they steadied, but... They just couldn't accelerate enough. Even a few of their boundaries were, were uppishly played and, and they were kind of lucky not to get out early. Yeah, I mean, Pant was probably the crucial one in keeping them in the game. Good strike rate. 156 is defendable. Oh, definitely. In a final too. Scores are often lower in a final. In theory. Yes. And that theory is being that you're not up against Roy Sharma and Quinn de Kock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sharma uh, nearly hold out in the third ball of the innings. But yeah, how different things might have been. Yes. 18 off the second over from Rabada, And before you knew it, it was 1 for 61 after the power play. The required run rate just hovered between 6.5 and, and 7.5 and for a few overs. Tough in a final. And they, they just they cruised home. Ro- yeah. Rohit Sharma. Great effort. He did run, run Surya Kumar Yadav out, though. And Yadav was incredibly selfless in allowing himself to be run out to keep Sharma in the match. But, yeah, even a late flurry of wickets just, just couldn't keep Delhi in the match. The best team all season won this. They thoroughly deserved their fifth title. And it's got to be said that the uh, experiment in the Emirates was a success. Yeah, I think they've done an incredible job with keeping the IPL going. It could have been an absolute fizzer. But yeah, hats off to them. Like so many leagues around the the world, they have done a great job and put on a a really, really great product as well. I think it's it's been a, a really, really great season. Yeah, so more and more cricket being played in the Emirates. Yep. I will say this though. Jeez, the Aussies struggled. Yeah. Not not a great... Those that chose to go. Sto- yeah. Stoinis played played well. Warner was a bit patchy. Not Inconsistent, much, Not yeah. much from the rest of them, unfortunately. Yeah, Smitty had a couple of knocks, but he wasn't yeah. great across the board. Whereas the Poms and the, the West Indians did really well. A couple so. of the New Zealand bowlers did all right, too. Yeah, yeah Trent yeah. Bolt was superb. Yeah. Yep. WBBL, Stewie. Yeah, geez, they've really got to move on with this. Each of the teams have got four games left. The Stars are top of the table. They've actually just lost their first match over the weekend against the Renegades in a super over. Should never even got there, though. The Renegades only needed 11 off the last two overs and completely botched it. As it was, they they needed two off the last ball just to tie it. But get this, the Stars actually had a day-nighter the day before this one, so they had about a 13-hour turnaround to the next game. Wow. Like, What do you reckon about that? Yeah, that's, that's rough. That's really rough. That's rough. I mean, well, happens in the NBA a fair bit. 
But it's still rough. 13 hours, though. It's still rough. I mean, It happens in the NBA where you can play a night game in one city, jump on a plane at 3am, and then be playing an afternoon game in another Mm. city in a different time zone. So it is is the nature of professional sport. True. But it probably could have been avoided in the schedule. Or they could have done it the other way around and had the day-nighter the following day. Give them a bit of extra time. Yeah. The Scorchers sitting really well. They've yeah, been, I saw a bit of the, the win, yep, which was nice. They've, they've won, won a couple. Their, well, they've won their last four games yeah, now to yeah. sit second. It's a three-way tie on four and four with the Brisbane Heat, Sydney Thunder, and Sydney Sixers. There've been some amazing performances, mostly with the ball though. This has not been a high-scoring series by any stretch of the imagination. Megan Schutt had three for seven or four overs yesterday against the Sixers. Ella Hayward had four for sixteen for the Renegades in the Melbourne Derby. Amelia Kerr had a four for twenty for the Heat. And then you had Georgia Redmayne. She's batted beautifully for Brisbane. 61 off 33 in one of her matches. Elise Perry had a 72 in a loss against the Hurricanes. Rachel Priest went for 92 off 63 in reply. Mm. Sophie Devine had a 77. There's been a lot. She actually became the first woman in the BBL history to have more than 100 sixes as well. Wow. So she's, yeah, she's definitely far and away. Yeah, great. Ash, Ash Gardner, I think, was second at about 63. So a long way ahead. Wow. For me, the biggest highlight, though, was that sensational catch from Nat Siver against the Sydney Thunder the other day. Absolute screamer going to her left. Off I mean, a reverse sweep. Yeah, sure was. Yeah, she, did she middled that reverse yeah. sweep oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That was flying. That was really The flying. state of women's cricket in Australia is magnificent. It, it is. Yeah. Well, the state of women's cricket internationally. In the world, yeah, fair. fair. If, if it's really at, improving, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, yep. we're getting a lot of great South African players coming across. A lot of great Kiwis. The Poms have obviously have a great team. And the cool thing is there's a lot of countries that maybe don't do so well in the men's but are really climbing the ladder in the women's game. So the women's pool of decent international teams will grow bigger than the men's very it soon. probably will, actually. Yeah, That's yeah. a good point. It really will. The big talking point, unfortunately, though, is a big name dropping with injuries. Ash Gardner had her seventh career concussion fielding on the boundary for the Sixers against the Strikers. Wow. Really innocuous, but as someone who's had a concussion before, they are super scary. Like, yeah. You just you can't mess around with them. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people are just unlucky, aren't they? Seven from quickest. Seven. That's fairly unusual, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. No, Jeez. Not great. Georgia Wareham's out for the tournament with a bone stress reaction in her shin. Susie Bates has re-injured her shoulder that she hurt playing for New Zealand against the Australians recently. She's now done for the series and Sophie Devine actually pulled up lane for the Scorchers with a back injury while yeah, bowling so yeah. hopefully she's okay for not that. good for their hopes yeah. well I mean she's basically two thirds of our batting yeah, at the moment yeah, so. yeah, yeah. but no a really really great tournament and it's yeah it's heading towards a, a really nice final series I'm just glad that when you mentioned injuries you didn't mention Elise Perry because far too often she's injured so mm. so please stay healthy well her pride's injured at the moment because her team's lost their last four games yes well yeah but we'll take stay that. on the park. Pride's okay. Yes. Now, going from the women's to the men's BBL, I'm now, I know you love a good rule change, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the BBL, they've brought in three new rules for this year's edition. Here we go. Mickey Mouse. So, number one, the power surge. A two-over period where the fielding team has only two players outside the circle from the 11th over onwards. They've basically shrunk Changed the, the player. Yeah, yeah, shrunk the power play. I'm okay with that one. Yep. Look, I don't see the need to move it, but... Yeah, mate, it's going to make things harder for the bowlers as well. And you might find a lot of youngsters not wanting to bowl because they're just getting tonked everywhere. But Yeah, well, there is there is a concern that the bats favoured too much in the BBL. That's mm. true. That's true. So it's an interesting one. That kind of seems like a change just for the sake of changing. Second one, the X-Factor player. Mm. So this is somebody who's come from a reality singing show and will appear... <laughs> no. Look... <laughs> this person... Uh, it would be better if that were the case. Yeah, Guy Sebastian Fielding, a point... Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, he was on Australian Idol. Uh, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. Don't uh, let the truth get in the way of a good joke, Stu. Anyway, so this is someone who's named as the 12th or 13th man. They can come in any time after the 10th over of the first innings and replace anyone who hasn't batted or anyone who hasn't bowled more than one over. What the fuck? I don't know. Super subs, hey? Like... Just pick, just pick a team and stick with it. Yeah, if, why? If why? A, if a player's under pressure, force them to rise to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if someone's playing shitty, bad luck. Mm. That's part of sport. Yeah, pick your game up. Yeah, yeah, don't like yeah, it. Yeah, don't love it. And number three, the bash boost. This is a bonus point awarded to a team that's ahead after 10 overs, effectively. So let's say we're. First innings points, kind of, isn't it? Kind of is. Yeah, so, yeah. so let's say we're playing against each other. After 10 overs, you're two for 75. If I get more than 75 runs in the first 10 overs, I get a bonus point. If I'm under that, you get a bonus point. And our teams will get three points for a win instead of two. I don't mind it. It's kind of risk versus reward. Does it add much, though, really? But that's like, the thing, yeah. Like, I think this, for me, is about trying to pick up... Some of the middle overs, things kind of drop off a little bit. You see them yeah. dropping from sort of eight and ten runs and over to three or four as teams kind of build... So you might see teams trying to accelerate a little bit more. And look, it may bring in a few more wickets. So it may have the negative effect where... I think it will. If you're chasing a big total and you've had a bad start and you try to get... What the fuck's it called? What's it called? The bash boost. You're trying to get the bash boost. You're just going to lose more wickets. The game will be over quicker. So you'll get less TV money in your longer schedule. Yep. No. Nothing like The BBL, yeah, I'll watch it, but I'm off it. I'll no, be honest. Nothing like a rule change for the sake of a rule change, is yeah, there? Yeah, no, yeah. BBL. And now, this week in sport history. So, we've decided to be a little bit pedantic. We kind of noticed that what we've been doing recently is that week in sport rather than this week. Yeah, you say pedantic, I say smart. It's just taken us nearly 25 shows to work it out. <laughs> so, what we're finally going to do is start looking at the following seven days yeah, rather than the can, previous seven. You can test your friends. November 16, 1924, the Cleveland Bulldogs, formerly the Canton Bulldogs, lose to the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets 12-7, ending a 30-game undefeated streak, which is oddly not recognised as the NFL and Major League Football record, presumably because the streak included three ties, their previous loss December 11, 1921, nearly three years earlier. Two of those ties were nil all as well. Mm. But geez, I'll tell you what, going back in the archives, it really gives you a never-ending list of hilarious names. Oh, it really does. November 18, 1997, Dallas Mavericks' AC Green ties Randy Smith's NBA record of 906 consecutive games. He would go on to play 1,192 straight games, going from November 1986 to April 2001. Oh, it's crazy. To put that into perspective, out of the players that played last season, only Vince Carter, Jamal Crawford, LeBron James, Kyle Korver, and Pau Gasol have played more games total than that let alone consecutively. Yeah, it's incredible. This is a record that I cannot ever see being broken. And I actually remember when he got that DMP CD, I think it was Cotton Fitzsimmons coaching, and we were like, why? Give him a minute. Let the streak continue. Let him guard an inbounds play with two seconds left in the third quarter. Yeah, let him take a technical free throw. Yep. And by the way, the most famous 40-year-old virgin in NBA history too, AC Green. Famously a virgin. Yeah, but maybe I'm just trying to think if if there's anyone else. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
There wouldn't be many other virgins in the NBA. No, very, very good guy. And you mentioned LeBron James. Speaking of LeBron James, November 19, 2019, he had 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists as the LA Lakers beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 112-107, making him the first player in NBA history to record a triple-double against all 30 franchises. Russell Westbrook joined him on the 20th of January this year after he also recorded one against OKC, the franchise he'd spent his entire career with. Of course, has to be said, the league has increased over the years, so... A lot of the uh, Oscar Robertson wouldn't have had the opportunity to do it. Nor magic. But it's a very impressive feat. Well, at least we beat Houston in that game. <laughs> so there is. So we, we we lost one of the two. Yes, indeed. November twenty first, nineteen thirty four, the New York Yankees by Joe DiMaggio from the San Francisco Seals mm. of the Pacific Coast League for fifty thousand dollars. DiMaggio would be a 13-time All-Star, 9-time World Series champion, 3-time American League MVP, a Hall of Famer. And boyfriend of Marilyn Monroe. Yes, Mm. that too. Mm. And holds the record for the longest hitting streak in Major League history with 56 consecutive games. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, whoops indeed. (laughs) Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Woo, woo woo Oh yes, very, very good quote there. You could have also gone with We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, but you went with Simon and Garfunkel instead. I did. And why not? And then finally, November 22, 1950, 7,021 fans see the lowest scoring game in NBA history when the Fort Wayne Pistons beat the Minneapolis Lakers 19-18 to after Larry Faust scored a layup over George Mikan with six seconds left. The Pistons sat on the ball for long periods of time, up to three minutes on occasion, not allowing a Lakers team with powerful offensive players like Mike and Jim Pollard, Vern Mickelson and Slater Martin to dominate, which resulted in a lot of boos and abuse. Amazingly though, the introduction of the shot clock still took four more years to come into effect. Mikan was the only player for the Lakers to make a field goal as the Lakers were 4 for 18 and the Pistons were 4 for 13, with the Pistons winning the game at the free throw line. Yeah, this was actually part of the Fort Wayne Zollner Pistons era as well. Oh, our favourite period. Our favourite period. But I've actually read a lot about this game, and players like Vern Mickelson were very quick to praise what the Pistons did, saying, look, they knew they couldn't beat us. Yeah, good coaching playing, is playing good coaching. Game. And, and, you know, the coach of the Pistons basically said, well, what are we supposed to do? We play them normally, they beat us. We had to try something. It's... Hackershack un- before Hackershack. Exactly. What actually happened, though, before the shot clock came in, they had a an, a little gentleman's agreement, basically, not to do what uh, they did. Okay, so well, that's interesting. So it wasn't quite as cut and dry as the league didn't do this for four years. I think it just took them a while to realise they could. And if I'm not mistaken, when they did bring in the shot clock, they worked out, on average, how long a possession lasted by working out the stats from many, many, many previous games and score lines, And that's how they mm. came up with the 24. Yeah, look, thank God they did, though. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. This week in sport history. So finally, Shui, we'll finish on basketball. Yes. What have you got for us? Well, we're going to start with the NBL, I guess. The the preseason's begun. I know both of us absolutely love preseason. Yes, I'm on record. My opinions about preseasons, they're a necessary evil, but I don't really watch them. Yeah, I'm not going to delve into it too much, but I just wanted to highlight some stats from the first couple of games. Nathan Sobey had a shocker returning to Adelaide. He went 1 for 13 and had a minus 25 in less than 25 minutes. Mm. So not a great start to him. Jeremy Kendall had 7 turnovers in 23 minutes as part of 25 for the Bullets. So they had a a pretty rough game turning the ball over. Um, Keanu Pinder's first game for Adelaide didn't go too well either. Son of Tiny. Yeah, he shot 1 of 9. He actually fouled out in the second game. They've they've played two games against each other so far. It's like the NBL Blitz, yeah. Yeah, but he's fouled out in about 20-odd minutes. So... 
There's a few iffy ones. Daniel Johnson started well, though. He's had a, a good season in his 64th season. Oh, jeez, we would have liked... The Wildcats would have liked him this year, given the bigs that they've uh, lost. It's, it's interesting you say that, because I remember that game that we went to when you won those tickets with the radio. Yeah, and, and uh, we sat in the change rooms and got to ask questions of uh, Trevor Gleeson. Yeah, and then yeah. As, as we were waiting to walk out to the seats, we were basically in the same hallway with the players. And as Daniel Johnson went past, I, I actually yelled out to him, like, you can come home anytime you want, DJ. <laughs> yeah, please. He did not listen to me. Uh, he's uh, had a great career. He has. Speaking of guys with great careers, Brian Gorgian, the worst kept secret in the basketball right now. Yeah, well, we did predict it. Uh, Brian Gorgian will be the next coach of the Boomers. So, great news. His second stint, actually, in charge of the national team. Yes, indeed. And he's actually come out and said, and I think it's a good thing, that we can't medal without Ben Simmons. So, he's put a bit of pressure on Ben Simmons to play. Yeah, yeah. Should have said that about Corey Irving. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of big guys that the Wildcats wish they had, Cam Oliver has re-upped with Cairns for another two seasons. Yeah, look, that's good for Cairns. Good that's, for the that's, league. That's really good for the league. He's it? actually one of my favourite players. He's excellent. Yeah. He he was very good against the Wildcats in the semis. Yeah. I, very I th- good. I thought for sure he would end up in the NBA. But... Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, he probably should be. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the NBA, should we get into our review? Yeah, well, look, before we do that, we probably should take a couple of seconds to to pause and, and mention rest in peace, Tommy uh, Heinsohn. Yes, yes. So for us being in our 30s, we missed Heinsohn's playing days by a, a few decades. Yes. I mean, he retired 18 years before either of us were even born. That's right. Our memories of, are of him as a commentator rather than a player. Yeah. But look, we, we while we know him for his unashamedly biased commentator <laughs> for the Celtics, there are a couple of things I remember about from his playing days. The, the biggest thing that I remember, though, was his famous Game 7 performance in the 1957 finals. He had 37 points and 23 boards in a double overtime, 125-123 to 123 win over, in a the clincher. Louis, yeah, over the St. Louis Hawks. In Crazy. His, in his rookie season yeah, as well. that's very good. Which was also Bill Russell's rookie season. Ah, there you go. And that was also the second 125-123 to 123 double overtime game of the series, which I thought was crazy. Yeah, it is, especially when it was game one. So it bookended the entire yeah, series. Yeah, game one it's and nuts. game seven. That's, yeah. that's nuts. But look, yeah, he, he did what he loved right up until the day that he left this world. You can't really ask for much more than that. And he will be missed as as much as he was frustrating as a commentator. Well, another one of those, if you're a Boston person, you love him, and if you're not, you maybe don't, but you yeah. love to hate him. Yeah. And there's still love in the love to hate. And, and he bled green. I mean, that's yeah. that's all you can say. He just bled green. Yeah. And he also made a uh, funny comment about Aaron Baines' appendage one time. Being <laughs> rather big. Oh, he did too. <laughs> Aaron Baines now with Phoenix, of course. Yes, with the Phoenix tripods. Yes, yes. <laughs> And crazily, even though he didn't get any minutes in the NBA Finals, Udonis Haslam is a player once again for the Miami Heat, this time 18th season. Yeah, only Dirk Nowitzki with 21, Bryant with 20, Duncan with 19, Stockton with 19, and Reggie Miller with 18 have spent that many seasons or more with on one, one team. team. Yeah. I find this so weird. Haslam played four games last season. He has 76 points in the last four seasons combined. Combined. Yeah. It's... Like, I understand he's a Less great... than a one a game. Yeah. A point a game. He, like, yeah. he, he's a great locker room guy. I get that. The only reason I can think of to waste a roster spot to keep him in the organization is maybe he said that he's not interested in coaching and this is the only way to keep him. But uh, I find... Yeah, well, that's a, that's a fair insight. That's interesting. But I, I just... Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. What, what do you make of it? It's not unusual for Miami. They did the same thing with Juwan Howard. He sat on the bench for a long time as a big who never played yeah, as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and he kind of was a pseudo-coach too. So 
I don't know. I mean, good on you, Donis. He'll be owning more money as a player who never plays than a coach who always coaches. Mm, that's a good point. So good for him. Mm, yeah, no, good, good counter. So we'll continue our little post-mortem on the NBA season and slightly look ahead as well this week with the Northwest Division. <laughs> for people who can't see this, which is everyone except for Nathan... I'm frantically putting jerseys on. Yeah, it's an audio medium. Uh, it's yeah. never going to go well. Yeah, I kind of screwed this. <laughs> yeah, you might. Yeah, it's it's a fair. He does have a jersey from every team. So who we got there? We've got Alex English from Denver. Just to save you putting it on for every time, we'll talk about him. You've got Alex English for Denver there. Yep, I've got uh, I've got Stephen Adams for OKC. I've got the John Stockton for Utah. I've got the Damian Lillard for Portland and. The Andrew Wiggins, because that's the best Minnesota one that I've got, which ah, is not yes. great. It's not Kevin Garnett. It was, but it's it was that on Ricky Rubio. One so. number more. Yeah, no, yeah. fair enough. So we'll start with Denver. They finished 46-27, and 27, lost in the Western Conference Finals to LA 4-1. After an exciting bubble, sputtered away at the end there with injuries to some key players. Their longest winning streak was seven games between the 13th and 24th of December. Their longest losing streak was three twice, including heading into the playoffs. And they will have pick 22 in the upcoming draft, which we will review next week real lot of optimism in the mile high city right now they gained a lot of fans in their in, oh yeah in the bubble with their comebacks against utah and the clippers first team ever to come back from 3-1 down in two different series in oh, the same playoffs as we mentioned incredible incredible we saw jamal murray become a man in front of our eyes and michael porter jr was another one finally showed why the nuggets were so excited to get him at the 14th pick absolutely if if he was if you redraft that class he would be top three pick Almost certainly. You would have to think so. Yeah. But yeah, geez, with Murray, everything except for his steals and his blocks per game went up in the playoffs. His scoring went up by eight points a game. Yeah. His battle with Donovan Mitchell gave us a look into the future of the league. Exciting. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's like something clicked in Orlando and you realized that you can't guard him one-on-one. He's got too many moves. He's got too good a jump shot. Like this, An excellent handle. Like Harlem Globetrotters level yeah. of handle. Yeah, very good dribbler. Yep. I suppose on the on the flip side, what do they need to get rid of? Paul fucking Millsap. Yeah, well, it's a big contract. I think it expires, doesn't it? It's It, it has expired. Yeah, so they, was, they, they won't bring him back unless it's for cheap. He was their highest paid player last season and probably their sixth best player at a push. Mm. So, yeah, that money pays for Murray's new contract because I think he just signed a five-year, 140-odd million dollar contract. So his will be quite good. Yep. His minutes probably go to Jeremy Grant and Porter Jr. Well, isn't Jeremy Grant a free agent? They need to hold on to him. They need to keep him. Yeah, they yeah. absolutely need to keep yeah. him. I would pay him decent money to, to stay on board. They don't really need any new players. Though. They no, just they need, don't need to do much. They just need to keep developing. Yep. They've got Bol Bol sitting there who can start getting minutes as well so they, they can begin his run towards his MVP in 2024. Yep. Determined he's... <laughs> <laughs> no, he is going to be a great player. I... I I think this Denver team... The best passing team in the competition. Yeah. This this Denver team From is point guard to center. going to be scary next yeah, season. Yeah. I, I wonder if one of Will Barton and Gary Harris Jr. is an odd man out. Well, I think the fact that they managed to get rid of Malik Beasley. Now, Beasley we'll talk about a bit later when we talk about Minnesota. Yeah, but they might have. Yeah, yeah. Potentially, I think Gary Harris, if anything, I would probably keep Barton. I've always been a big fan of Barton, but I can't keep defending him because he's had terrible injury problems the last couple of years so is Harris though yeah well I guess Harris so, hasn't been much better yeah, yeah it, it's a tough one I mean I guess it's whoever of those two you can get for the cheaper deal because you're going to have to save some money to keep Jeremy Grant but 
Look, it's a good problem to have. Yes, indeed. Darn, we have too many good players. Yeah, no, you'd have to think that Denver would be top three in the West once again next season. Oh, definitely. And with their home court advantage, if they're playing in their normal stadiums again, they, they should be going for that number one seed. Yep. And it's a realistic shot. Definitely. Next, we had two teams finishing on 44 and 28. Your Oklahoma City had the tiebreaker story. They did finish higher, so we'll go with them next. They lost in the first round to Houston, unfortunately, four games to three. Their longest winning streak was five on three different occasions. Their longest losing streak was three between the 19th and 23rd of November, so right at the beginning of the season. They had a postponed game on the 12th of March, of course, against Utah, the team they had the same record as, and they will pick 25th in the draft. Look, as an OKC fan, I was not expecting this season. Yeah. I had us going about 31-51 and 51 for a full season. I'd expect that we would have salary-dumped Chris Paul halfway through the season, but they stuck with it and actually ended up being a real surprise packet. That death lineup with Paul Schroeder and Gilgis Alexander was probably one of the best in the league. And had Lugans Dort been able to get up and nail his seventh three-pointer in that Game 7 against Houston, it would have been us that got spanked by the Lakers in Round 2. Yeah. So, yep. but no, how typical is this of the Thunder? First round exit, right when it looks like we might actually have what it takes to get past round one. We should be called the Oklahoma City Tracy McGrady's. Uh, well, that's a bit harsh because, as you say, before the season even began, no one picked him in the playoffs. So, to finish that high is a very good effort. Oh, it, it is. It is. And look, I mean, the shining light, probably Lou Dort, to be honest. Oh, I mean, definitely. He's only a rookie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he can barely shoot his way out of a paper bag, but we've found this new defensive stopper of sorts. And. I'm hoping we can lock him into a reasonable contract, maybe continue to let him develop. If he can start shooting around a 35% clip from deep, he could be like an undersized PJ Tucker. Well, I was going to say, he's got the D down. If he can get that three, he'll be a very good three and D. Yeah, it would be good. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. What do we need to get rid of? Well, see, unfortunately, the flip side is that it seems like we've gone full rebuild. We've got a brand new head coach. I can't even remember his name. He's that unmemorable. Yes, that's true. We didn't write that down. But he did coach the uh, G League team. He's been in the system for a long time, and they did say they would hire internally, so it wasn't all that surprising. But he is a no-name in relative speak, yeah. Yep. It looks like Chris Paul's on his way out. We'll talk about that more next week, maybe when something becomes a reality. Maybe at draft time. I think we're both expecting draft day trades. Danilo Gallinari looks like he's set to leave. There's talk that Dennis Schroeder's going to get traded to the Lakers for Danny Green in the 28th pick. It's... We've just gone full rebuild, and unfortunately, there's nothing really we can do. I think we need to let go of Andre Robeson now. Yeah. He has 20 points, 27 rebounds, and 4 assists in the last 1,024 days, and we've paid him over $30 million in that time. Yeah. No, it's full rebuild time. Yeah. It's... Definitely, you know, there'll be a lot of teams that would like Chris Paul if they can find the money. There's really strong drafts in 21 and 22. Now is the time to be accumulating and draft picks. We have 16 first round draft picks in the next six years. Yep, that's that is good. At an average of basically 2.6 a season. So, yeah, the- basically what OKC needs to do is to sabotage the Clippers at all costs, so those picks turn into good things. Yep, I can. Maybe we can get Pat Beverly to run through Kawhi Leonard's knee. Or Lou Williams can. You know, get that lemon pepper chicken a little too many times or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's if he's even with them. <laughs> True. No, look, it's uh, yeah, definitely rebuild time for OKC, unfortunately, which is a real shame. But, you know, as fans, you've got to endure it sometimes. You, yeah, well, yeah. I, I will be too, I yep. suspect. 
So next we have Utah, as I said, 44 and 28 also. They lost in the first round in seven games, 4-3. Their longest winning streak was 10 between the 27th and 15th of January. The longest losing streak was five games between the 28th of January and the 6th of February. They also played that postponed game, as I mentioned, which makes their season a little bit more memorable. They have pick 23 in the draft upcoming. Yeah, so close yet so far for the Jazz. Up 3-1 against the Nuggets, up 15 in the third quarter of Game 5 as well, and then mm. Jamal Murray just torched them. I don't know that the Jazz would have handled the Clippers, so they maybe don't get any further than that, but second round always looks better than a first round exit, and take that from an OKC fan. <laughs> of course. But the Bogdanovich injury just ruined any chance they had of going far in the bubble for me. I was pleasantly surprised to see how well they fared against Denver. I think you and I both took the Nuggets in 5? I can't remember, yeah. yeah I we, mean, I'm a big Nuggets fan. There's, you know. Took them in not that many, though. Mm. I mean, no real shocker for the shining light. Donovan Mitchell, his playoff points per game rose by over 12 mm. on the regular season. Mm. I didn't have the energy to look extensively, but I don't think anyone was topping that. Oh, he is a playoff performer. Yeah, and we got to see just how unstoppable he can be. Very much one of those new breed of superstars that they know when they need to lift their game and they know how to do it as well, which is, uh, which is important. So what they need to get rid of is tricky. They're a little bit stuck. They really are, aren't they? Like Mike Connolly's contract eats up thirty-four and a half yeah. million next season. Is Rudy Gobert going to be worth the money they're paying him? But shot blocking rim defenders, you know, yeah. they're important. That's it. The thing with Conley though, he's on a team where, unlike with the Grizzlies teams, there are a lot of guys who want shots. So he was kind of squeezed out of the offense a little bit. He started the season nine of forty-five from the field. Ended up on the bench at one stage. I like their offense more when Mitchell's handling the ball and Joe Ingles is spotting up in the corner of the 45. I'm not sure what you could really get for Conley. So He did help him win a playoff game, but I think you're right. He's kind of the odd man out a little bit. He is. Yeah. I tell you what they really miss is Derek Favors. Yeah. Yep. They really miss that. That extra big that doesn't require a lot of shots. Yep. And yep. with a decent jump shot so he yeah. can kind of stretch the you know, the defense out. Yep. Their bench sucks. A whole new bench would be useful for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they drop off a big after their starting five. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I dare say we'll probably be saying the same thing about them next season. It will be interesting. Next, we have Portland, 35 and 39. Yes, that's right. They also made the playoffs. They lost to the Lakers 4-1 in the first round. So that means that half of the Western Conference playoff teams were from this one division. Their longest winning streak was four games twice. Their longest losing streak was five games between the 24th of December and the 2nd of January. They have pick 16. I mentioned I was interested in where the playing game would fall in the history books. So I had a look on the weekend. Currently on ESPN, the team page shows the regular season finishes at the last bubble game, while the postseason only shows the first round game against LA. So as I predicted those weeks ago, this play-in game has disappeared from the history books already. Huh. Wow. Where do they put it? Anyway. In purgatory is where it is, unfortunately. So, yeah. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, the Blazers just left their run too late. They were 18-26. and 26. Losses against the Warriors, Cavs, Knicks, and the Timberwolves at that stage. None of those teams won more than 21 games this year. So... They just couldn't make up enough ground to avoid both of the LA teams in the first round. Dame did work in the bubble. He carried the team. CJ McCollum, and I know I've said this a number of times, played with a fracture in his back. And Dame had back-to-back 50s too. He did. So, yeah. I mean, Zach Collins missed a huge amount of time with injury. If they stay healthy, they have a really good core to work around. They managed to get some great meaningful minutes into Wenyan Gabriel, Anthony Simons, Caleb Swanigan, Gary Trent Jr., you Yusuf Nurkic is, you know, still fairly young. Nurkic just, came, yeah, came back. So if you have him and Collins playing all season, 
this is the sort of team that could very easily be contending. Oh, yeah. I still have hope for Collins. I really liked him in college. So my fingers are crossed he'll turn into a a good player. I I could see them being Western Conference finalists next year with that team. (laughs) Shining light. I probably have them in a lower run, but they'll definitely should be a playoff team. Yeah. Shining light for me, it's got to be Carmelo Anthony. Yes, definitely. I mean, this was a guy that was struggling to find a team and he finally found a team that fit what he is as a player. He was able to accept that secondary role, take a minimum contract. He was a little bit of that old Knicks mellow, but for the most part, he was just happy with whatever he could get. Yeah, no, they needed scoring off the bench. It was a perfect fit for both teams. And his defense wasn't horrendous. No, it wasn't that screen door defense that we've seen in the yeah. past. Yeah. At 36, he's kind of taken a, a leaf out of LeBron's book and got his body in really good shape. So Very thin, yep. He's probably got a couple of good seasons left in him. Yep, no and- reason why not. And, and, you know, a full season for Nurkic as well with this team. And, and yeah, as I said, that they could be dangerous. What they need to get rid of, though, Trevor Ariza, $12 yep. million contract, jumps out a bit. Yep. And I know he had a pretty decent year, but Hassan Whiteside, $31 million. Yeah, that contract's not aging well, is it? He had such promise in Miami, but, yeah. Yep. yeah it's That's not... more than double what Nurkic made last year. Yeah, and he's not getting many minutes. So yeah. they're paying him a lot of money to sit on the bench. I, I wonder if they could go after Danilo Gallinari. Mm. Maybe come up with a trade package for with he uh, could be with, a fit yeah with a reason. You imagine a five with Dame, CJ, Mello, Gallo, and Nurk. Well, the the, the probably... talk is Mello's going to New York, but but that those players without Mello is bloody good. Mm. Yeah, I mean if if OKC might take on Whiteside in a salary dump, you know if they can get more picks. Yep. Yeah, that could be a good trade for both parties. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be too disappointed with that. I mean, obviously, it means that Stephen Adams probably gets pushed around a little bit or, or Whiteside just sits on the bench for yeah, the rest of the yeah, season. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? But yeah, we'll, we'll, I would think we would take that considering. And then finally, the only team in the division to not make the playoffs, Minnesota 19-45. and 45. Their longest winning streak was three between the 24th and 28th of October, the first three games of the season. The longest losing streak was 13 between the 2nd of January and the 6th of Feb. They then beat the Clippers 142-115 to 115 after a 13-game losing streak. And then they lost another five in a row. Hey. The NBA can be a funny thing sometimes. They have picks one and 17 in the upcoming draft. Here we go again, Timberwolves fans. Back to mediocrity. Yep. It's going to take a miracle in the offseason, really. I'm, I'm happy with their in-season acquisitions. D'Angelo Russell, I'd rather him than Wiggins as much as I've got the jersey. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, as yeah. much as I've got the jersey on. Yep. But... Would you rather him more than LaMelo Ball? Uh, Who could be the number one pick? Yes, because he's established. I still don't know. I would too. I still don't know what Lamelo is going to be. I mean, they might have both. I think they should trade the pick and try and get picks in. Like I said, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two are meant to be really deep drafts. Yep. So a lot of the crap teams should be looking to trade high picks for multiple picks in the future drafts. In mm. my opinion. Yep. No, that makes sense. Um, great to see Malik Beasley as well. I mean, he went up from I think it was about seven point eight points to about twenty point four with uh, with Minnesota. So had a really really good few games there. I think it was only fourteen games, but he he played well. Jarrett Culver unfortunately struggled with his shot for most of the year, so he's kind of a bit iffy. They don't really have a lot else after that. I mean, their shining light definitely is Beasley. I was a huge fan of him in Denver. Yeah, me too. Good backup. And, and he'll get a lot more freedom in in the offense there if he's aggressive. It's conceivable he could average that for the full season, that nearly 21 points a game. 
What they need, though, they need a home run with this number one pick. They, if, yeah, if they, they really use do. it, or they, they really need to, do. they need to use it to get a home run. Yeah, they've only had one number one pick, and that was Carl Anthony Towns. So a repeat of that would be nice. I don't think you'll get that in this draft, though. Well, James Wiseman, potentially. Although yeah. a Congru, many people are saying he's above Wiseman now, mm. and I noticed that they're two, three in the uh, NBA draft projections now. So draft.net, yeah, which we'll be watching on uh, on the weekend next indeed, week, so we'll get a indeed. chance to have a look at that. In terms of players they need to get rid of, fucking Evan Turner. Your favourite. $18.6 million last year for a guy who averaged 3-2-2. Two, and two. He is trash. <laughs> oh, I can't stand. I'm also not a fan of the $15 million they paid James Johnson. He was pretty good for them, but they're probably the top. I mean, you've got to get rid of Evan Turner. Well, they're legacy contracts that they've acquired in trade. Aren't they? I just don't know how he gets a game with yeah, anyone. Yeah, some blokes make a lot of money for doing fuck all. Hmm. So next week, we'll have a big NBA draft extravaganza. That brings the show to the end once again. What are you amped for? I'm actually amped for the completion of the WBBL. I think this has been such a great season. I'm looking forward to seeing how it concludes. and Maybe a little bit of NBL preseason, as little as it counts for. How about yourself? NBA draft, mate. I love the NBA draft. It's one of my favorite things on the sporting calendar. It's one of the few years where I feel like I know the least about the players uh, because the tournament never happened, and that's often when I school up on the NBA draft, as I've said in previous weeks. So really looking forward to that. I've started my research a little bit, been listening to some podcasts and stuff, but we'll be getting together on Saturday to watch a recording of it. So yeah, we'll be back next week with a big, big NBA draft extravaganza. Until then, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>